And with that in our hearts, let's open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. If you're here this morning and don't have a Bible with you and would like uh, one, uh, we have uh, gift Bibles that we'd love for you to have that you could keep. So just raise your hand if you need one, please. Right here, thank you. Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to begin reading in verse 11 as we return from our Christmas series. We return now to our regular series of messages through the letter of Paul to the Ephesians, a series that we've entitled simply, In, Being In Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2 and verse 11, Therefore remember that at one time, You Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus... You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. O Lord, our God and Father, may it be that by your Spirit we will see Jesus, who he is and what he has done, and how it is to affect our lives and our life as a church. I ask in the name of Christ, amen. Well, we we come this morning to a section in the book of Ephesians in which we learn what it means to be in Christ in Christ the church. Beginning in verse 11 of chapter 2, Paul moves from what in many ways has been a discussion of what it means for us individually as believers to be in Christ, now to a set of teachings through chapter 4 about how we who are in relationship with Christ are also in relationship with others. We are in relationship with everyone who truly knows and loves the Lord Jesus Christ. We we learn in the words of chapter 5, well-known words, that Christ loves the church and he gave himself for her. Biblical logic goes like this. You and I are to be like Jesus Christ. We all know that. Jesus loved the church and gave himself for her. Therefore, what? If we are to be like Christ, and Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, we are to love the church and give ourselves for her as well. 
chapters 2, 11 through chapter 4 and verse 32, actually chapter 5 and verse 2, tell us how to do that in the context of a local church. And as Andy has announced, uh, given that we need to hold a membership explore class for folks who are new to us, uh, it just seems good to us to blend that together with our exposition of Scripture, and we'll see how this goes. Haven't tried something like this before. We will see how it goes. It may be a little clunky at times, uh, but hopefully clear, though clunky. Hopefully it'll work. And at the end of the day, we hope and we pray that we have done justice both to the text of Ephesians and to the material in our Explore course. All these messages, by the way, as are all of our messages, uh, are being recorded and are available on our Risen Hope website. So you can go there and you can listen to them all anytime uh, you'd like. Now, let me reset the context here uh, as we move forward into Ephesians 2. Uh, in our Ephesians study to this point, we have been seeing much of what it means, right, to be in Jesus Christ. Remember verse 3 of chapter 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then Paul goes on in the next couple of chapters to tell us that our redemption, our identity, our power, our salvation, our forgiveness, our hope, our new life, our status in heaven, our purpose in life to do good works for His glory, all of this comes to us as believers by virtue of the fact that we are in Him. We are united to Christ. Being in Him, we have every spiritual blessing. All that He is and all that Christ has becomes ours by an act of amazing love and mercy and grace. God the Father says, all that my son has, you now have. All that my son enjoys, you now enjoy because you are in him. And that has been what we've been looking at for the last couple of months. We come now to chapter 2 and verse 11. And Paul does here what he did in an earlier section he, he creates a backdrop against which we can see the beauty and the glory of what God has done for us in Christ. Remember the backdrop illustration behind me is, is our logo, but behind the logo is a backdrop, a black curtain. And the black curtain is put there to... to bring attention to, not the curtain, but the logo. The, the backdrop highlights calls attention to the logo. Paul does that here in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Here's the backdrop. It's, it's a dark one. It's not a happy one. He says, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, but now, backdrop, alienation, separation, far off, no hope, without God, that's the description of every single human being who has ever been born except Jesus. That's the backdrop. 
But against that backdrop, there is this marvelous statement, but now, in Christ Jesus, you, you all, every one of you, who were once far off, have now been brought near. This is, this is the gospel. This is the person and work of Jesus Christ. We were all alienated from God and from one another, a sinful, messed up, hopeless, alienated humanity. And then Jesus came. Then Jesus came. In our Explore material, we have a lesson called The Person and Work of Jesus Christ. We love to preach and talk and fellowship around the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came and he did the impossible. He reconciled us to God and through his person and through his work, he has also, as we're going to see this morning, reconciled us to one another. Jesus reconciles us to God. Here's what this text will teach us. Jesus reconciles us to God, bridges the racial divide, and compels us to live a reconciled life. Here's, here's a summary of the text in front of us. Jesus reconciles us to God. He bridges the racial divide and He compels us to live a reconciled life. Look at this with me this morning. First of all, just by noticing who this Jesus is. Who is this person? Well, in verse 13, now in Christ Jesus. Down in chapter 3 and verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. I, I don't know of any better, more thorough way to define and identify the person of Jesus than that statement right there. Christ Jesus our Lord. Christ means anointed one. He is God's anointed one, God's chosen one, to be a prophet who tells us the truth about God, to be a priest who brings us acceptably and forgiven to God, and to be a king to rule us in holiness for God. He is Christ, the anointed one. He is Christ Jesus. Jesus identifies him in his humanity. It's the name given to him. When the eternal Son of God became the Son of Mary, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So he is God's anointed one, the Christ. He is Christ Jesus, the human, the man, Jesus the baby of Bethlehem, and he is Christ Jesus, our Lord. Lord speaks of his deity, that he is God, that he is the God-man. He is not just a human being. He is God and man in one. He is Lord. This is who Jesus is. This is the person of Christ in one phrase, Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, Let's consider his work. Christ Jesus our Lord reconciles us to God and bridges the racial divide. He reconciles us to God. We, we, we are born alienated from God. We are born estranged from God. We are born at a distance from God. 
in verse 12, it says we are without God. In chapter 4, we are told that we are alienated from the life of God. Remember chapter 2, it says that we were children of wrath. This means that in our natural state, when we were born, we were separated from God. We were hostile to God. And there was a certain sense in which God was hostile to us. We were bad, and God was mad. We were sinful, and God didn't like it. It doesn't do us any good to make believe that we are better than we are. It doesn't do us any good to make believe that God is gentler and more passive than He is. Do you and I need to be reconciled to God Yes, we do, because we are rebels. We sang about that this morning. We are defiant, disobedient human beings. We want to do it our way. We don't want to do it God's way. And our whole life is testimony to that. We are defiant toward God. We need to be reconciled to Him. And in fact, we don't even like God the way we're born. We, we want to run from God. We, want, we hate God. We hate, the, Jesus said that men hate the light. They love darkness rather than light. That's all of us. We were all, we were all in our own world wanting to do our own thing. We needed to be reconciled to God, but God needed to be reconciled to us too. Because our sins had, had offended His holiness. Our sins had violated His law. Our sins have, have grieved His justice. Our sins broke His heart, stirred up His anger. But Jesus came to fix this. This is, this is why Jesus came, and that's why we read in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near. That's language of reconciliation. We've been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself, in his person and in his work, he himself is our peace. That's reconciliation with God. No longer estranged, no longer alienated, no longer distanced, no longer like Adam and Eve banished from the garden. He himself is our peace. And verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who are far off, and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. How has this happened? The text says it's through the bloodied cross of Christ. It is by his blood and it is through the cross that our hostility between us and God, that hostility has been killed. The blood of Jesus poured out on the cross has atoned. For all of our sin, it has removed, it has appeased all of God's wrath. It has removed every reason, every reason for God to be still mad at us has been taken away because he poured out that anger. He poured out that wrath on his son in our place. The wrath is gone. The anger is gone. The hostility is gone. We now know our need for God. God in his infinite love and mercy has reached down to us in our need. He's taken the initiative. He's come after us. He's rescued us. He's redeemed us. He said, you're going to be mine. Come near now. I'm your father. Come near now. I'm your father. This is not just the absence of warfare. 
This is now the presence of peace, of wholeness, of relationship, of access, of love, of intimacy. In the words of the great old hymn, my God is reconciled. His pardoning voice I hear. He owns me for his child. I can no longer fear. With confidence I now draw nigh. And Father, Abba, Father, cry. That's the gospel. The eternal God-man, Jesus Christ, bridged the gulf between God and man through the blood of His cross. Oh, there's so much more that could be said here, but we say it pretty much every week here. This is what we preach. This is where we focus. We love this gospel. We love this good news. And if you're visiting with us, and if you're thinking about joining with us, we want you to know you better get used to this. All right? Because it's going to be about Jesus. It's going to be about His person. And it's going to be about His work. It's going to be how God became man to die for man to bring us to God. It's what we're about. But there's something in this text that's remarkable that we don't speak to as often but believe we need to given the moment that we are in and what God seems to be doing among us here at Risen Hope. Jesus not only reconciles us to God but He bridges the racial divide and He compels us to live a reconciled life. I want you to notice again verses 12 through 16. I'm, I'm going to read these, or verses 13 through 16. And now notice, not just that we are reconciled and brought near to God, but we are reconciled and brought near to each other. Notice it, verse 13. Now in Christ, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both. As we're going to see, He's talking there about us Jews and Gentiles. He has made us both one, and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility." This text teaches us that Jesus reconciles us to God and bridges the racial divide. In the context, the racial divide that Paul has in mind is between Jew and Gentile. Keep, keep in mind that at this time, looking back into the Old Testament period, the great ethnic divide of that time was between Jew and Gentile. You were either Jewish one of the chosen people of God, or you were a Gentile, every single other ethnic group on the face of the earth. There really were only two groups, but these groups were divided. 
The ancient Hebrews had received great privileges as God's chosen people. They had received God's promises of love and salvation. They had received the covenants of his mercy and hope. They had received his law and commandments and ordinances. And those things, those laws taught them how to live. But if you read the Old Testament laws, you also see that those laws taught them how to be separated from everyone else. They received all of this, and and they even had received the rather dubious distinction of circumcision, a physical mark to set them apart from everyone else. And over time, these differences had resulted in both an elitism and a superiority in the Jewish people and a sense of alienation and inferiority among the Gentiles who were on the outside looking in. And a great deal of ethnic pride and prejudice, advantage and disadvantage, arrogance and envy had developed. But now, in Christ, Paul says, that is all wiped away. That separation is now abolished. The walls of division are now destroyed. Why? How? Because it had become clear in the words of chapter 2, that all of us are in the same boat spiritually. All of us are equally sinners, and we are all saved by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. We are saved by grace, through faith, not of yourselves or your own works, so that no one can boast. We are all his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do his good works. You see, before Jesus came, the appearance was that you were saved by your works. The appearance was that you were saved by being a Jew. The appearance was that your bloodlines and your ethnicity and your obedience and your religiosity, these are the things that got you to God. But when Jesus came and reconciled us to God, not through our works, but through his works, not through our persons, but through his person, then suddenly the walls are taken down Jew and Gentile find themselves on level ground in equal status before God. And this, this is the amazing thing. That out of the two, in the words of verses 15 and 16, God has created one new man. Out of the two, there is now one body. And we can extend it. Out of the many, the many ethnicities, the many cultures, the almost infinite variety and array of cultural backgrounds and experiences and and shades of color and all the rest, out of the many, there are now one. There is one new man. That word is just speaking of one new humanity. There are not, in one sense, there are not many races, there's one race. There are not many human races. There's just the one redeemed human race in Jesus Christ. To to borrow from the conference yesterday, Vodi Bakum spoke in terms of marriage and the fact that when a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, the two shall become one. Vodi said that that means that you're not just mine, you're me. 
You're not just mine, you're me. Brothers and sisters, the same is true in the church. We are members of one another. There is one body. There is one man. And that means you're not just my brother. You're not just my sister. You're me. We are, we are one in Jesus Christ. This is one of the great, according to this text, one of the great purposes and accomplishments of the cross. And we must celebrate it. And we must see the implications of it for our life. Jesus Christ our Lord came not just to reconcile us to God, but to reconcile us to each other. This means, folks, that racial reconciliation is not an option. It is not an option for those who may be inclined to try it that can be left to the side for those disinclined. It is an obligation, a wonderful, glorious, scary obligation for everyone who has been reconciled to God in Jesus Christ. It is a gospel necessity. It is a gospel calling. It is a vital part of what it means to be a gospel and a cross-centered church. A gospel and cross-centered church will seek with whatever opportunities is given to it, will seek to be reconciled not just with God vertically, but with all people and peoples horizontally. And experience a oneness and a love and a mutual respect and a mutual appreciation and a mutual celebration in the body of Christ. This, folks, this is what makes our history as a nation. And it's not just our nation, you know, as well as I do, if you know history at all. Bigotry and racism and prejudice and all this stuff goes on in every culture in all directions. But it does make what has happened in this nation in the last three to four hundred years particularly grievous and particularly evil. We need, to, we need to spend some time on this this morning. God is calling us to think about this. Not only has our nation committed great evils, but the church has as well. New Testament churches were multi-ethnic congregations because that was a primary accomplishment and goal of the gospel. You know if Revelation 5, right? At the end of time, there will be from every tribe and tongue and people on earth, those who sing worthy is the Lamb. That's, that's the goal of it all. That's the goal of it all. And in the New Testament, this was not just an abstract. It was a reality. It was not just a theory. It was a practice. It's what they did. It's how they lived. And so Jew and Gentile and sophisticated Greeks and, and uncouth barbarians and male and female and rich and poor and old and young, they all worshiped together. They all worshiped together. And it's a great sorrow that in today's churches, this is not the case. It's cliched at this point, 
to say that the most segregated time in American life today is when? Sunday mornings. Sunday mornings. By and large, this is because white churches have either not wanted others around or have not made it comfortable for others to be around. And in some measure, it's because other ethnicities have wanted to preserve a haven, a place where their own culture and their own experiences and their own joys can be celebrated. But the end result is a separation where unity was meant to be. Is, is a segregation where integration was meant to be. I'm afraid that the American church is a reflection of the culture in which it lives. America has a long, dark history with whatever virtues the United States of America has, and I believe it has virtues, but with whatever virtues it has, and I speak now as a white American, as one who has so much more to learn, our treatment of Native Americans, of African Americans, of unborn Americans, has been unspeakably and inexcusably evil. No excuse. An evil beyond words. From early colonists to slave owners to Jim Crow advocates to segregationists to us still today in a multitude of ways, we have a, we have a track record of evil, of injustice, of hatred, of separation. I, again, I understand racial sin is not only a white problem. It, it is a human problem. It's white against black, black against white, black against black, whatever other shades of skin there are and culture there are against each other. But there can be no doubt that the structures and the institutions of this long white dominated culture have made racism and bigotry not just normal human problems and struggles but have embedded them into our culture in a way that even to this very day they seem almost intractable, they seem almost immovable and unfixable. I do believe the gospel can fix them. I believe the gospel is the only thing. The only thing that can fix us. But brothers and sisters, we must confess that this bigotry and this hatred and this evil is a flat-out denial of one of the reasons for which Jesus died. It is a denial by our lives of what Jesus came to do through his death. He came to reconcile us to God and to one another. He came to tear down and put to death the hostility. And it will be a privilege a responsibility, an obligation for us as a local church, given where we are, 
given when we are, and given who we are, just look around. It will become an obligation and a responsibility and I think a rare privilege for us to pursue depths of understanding, of respect, of appreciation, of love, of forgiveness, of grace with one another that perhaps... I think it's, I say rare, I think it's an unusual opportunity God has given to us. Oh, that the gospel would so prevail in our hearts and minds that we will seize this opportunity. It won't be easy. We will have, we'll have to overcome our, our fears. We will have to overcome our prejudices, we will have to overcome our assumptions. We'll have, we'll have to start with an understanding, brothers and sisters, that we truly, really, profoundly are equal. We are equally the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. This is one of those things that it's so obvious, why do we miss it? We all have the same mom and dad. We all come from the same family tree. And therefore, any idea that I am superior, that I am better, that I am different, is fundamentally ignorant of the reality of the human race. It's, it's like one arm saying to the other arm, I don't like you. It doesn't make any sense. I don't know about you, I'm old enough to have remember cars that had no air conditioning. Any of you remember cars without air conditioning? Okay. All right. There was, there was, a, there was a unique phenomenon that happened in cars without air conditioning, and that was that the driver of the car would develop an uneven tan. You wonder why? How? Well, because there was no air conditioning, the windows would always be open, and the driver of the car would be driving with his left arm on the edge of the window. The sun would be baking that arm, turning it all nicely bronzed and brown and all the rest, while the white arm, the right arm, is the white arm. Now, imagine that one of the arms, whichever one was in the mood to be bigoted, said, hey, you're whiter than I am. You're darker than I am. I'm better than you are. It's nonsense. It's one body. One body, equal arms. The, the surface, the skin. Benjamin Watson, a professional football player, has written a book, Under Our Skin. I I not only ask you to read it, I plead with you to read it. We have copies of it in the back. Uh, please get a copy before you leave. We'll order more. Uh, it is a wonderful, wonderful book written by an African-American brother uh, who, who, who just really does a marvelous job, an objective job of looking at the race issues. And, and he speaks of just how foolish it is, just how... how 
ignorant it is to think yourself better as the right arm than the left arm when you're in the same body, when you are the same body. We are, by creation, we're equal, but in the gospel we're equal, right? We are, we are equally made as sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. We are equally created in the image of God. We are equally guilty as rebel sinners before a holy God. We are equally dead in trespasses and sins. We are equally alienated from God because of those sins. We are equally far off from God, equally in need of forgiveness, equally unable to get to God through obedience to the commandments, equally redeemed by Jesus Christ, equally regenerated, and made alive by the Spirit of Christ, equally restored to relationship with God, equally made the children of God with God as our Father, equally recreated in Christ Jesus to do good works, equally seated in the heavenly places in Christ, equally destined for glory, equally a part of the new man, the one new humanity. We are equal in Christ. And the gospel is what informs us of that and and convinces us of that and compels us to act accordingly. Compels us to act accordingly. And we have a chance, I think an unusual chance, a rare opportunity. We have a chance to be consciously and deliberately and intentionally, persistently and perseveringly committed to actually living this out as a local church. It will not be easy. We will need to study each other. We will need to be open to one another. We will need to seek to understand each other. We will need to listen to each other. We will need to stand in each other's shoes and and feel each other's heart and bear each other's sorrows and taste each other's griefs and realize each other's challenges. We We can only do this as we talk and as we listen And as we ask questions, and as we refuse to shape opinions and come to judgments, and we just keep listening and learning. It was probably 20 years ago that God began to work a conviction in my soul, in my spirit, that somewhere, somehow, God wanted me to be a part of something that would would lead toward something better than what's been the case. So for these last 20 years, every chance I get, I have conversations and I just, I just ask questions. Just ask questions. I want to learn. I want to grow. You know what I find out? I, I find out that my assumptions are so very often wrong and my perceptions are skewed and my judgments are unfair. And just my lack of empathy is is so pronounced that that I don't even begin to get it. Don't even begin to get it. This past week, I had a conversation with an African-American brother, and I had given him something to read. Uh, It was written by a white European, and he came back to me and expressed some um, struggle with what I had given him to read because in this article... 
the white European had made the comment that wherever Christianity goes, society and culture gets elevated. And we can debate whether or not there's any truth in that. But my African-American brother said to me, while that may be true for some, it has not been true for all. Where white European Christianity went, there was the treatment of the Native Americans, there was the enslavement of the African Americans. And it gets pretty lame to think, well, eventually things got better. When for hundreds of years, it has not gotten better. And I realized in that moment with my brother that I had a perception of the world that was different than him. And he from me. And, and there was a moment of understanding. There was, a, there was a moment of empathy. There was a moment of humbling. This side of heaven, we will never have full agreement on everything. This won't happen. We will need to confess that in all of our hearts there is a humanity demeaning, there is a gospel denying inclination to be prejudiced or elitist or superior, at least towards somebody. It's in all of us. We'll have to confess it. We will need to realize that we all live with assumptions that are not true. We will need much charitable love and judgment to go all around. We will need the ability to listen even when we disagree. To hear things we don't like to hear. Things which we believe may be wrong or distorted or biased and not have to correct them. We will need to overcome come with open minds and sincere questions, not fixed opinions and inflexible judgments. We will need to resist the urge to get angry and hostile. And when we do get angry and hostile, to ask God's forgiveness for it and get back into the conversation. We will need the grace to not demand full and complete closure. You know, closure that always elusive thing. You never ever feel it with anybody, do you? Where you have a reconciliation where you look at it and say, okay, that tied up every loose end perfectly. Now it doesn't happen. There will be offenses not confessed, sins not acknowledged, opinions not agreed with, hurts not healed, injustices not made right. We will need to accept that this side of heaven Full closure doesn't happen. But this side of heaven, deeper and stronger and sweeter understanding can happen. And to that we must commit. And brothers and sisters, we need to commit. We need to commit. As God opens a door of opportunity before us, we need to commit to simply not quit in our pursuit of one another. Love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never 
fails. And this is that to which we are called. If, if your Bible's still open, I, I would just close with this text from chapter 4, beginning in verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Here is the kind and quality of love to which we are called. And I am not naive. Well, I'm probably more naive than I realize I am. But I'm hoping to become less naive and more real and more authentic and more open and more humble and more teachable. But I do realize that that process will not be easy. And that I will need to have a love, and so will you, that just refuses to quit. That does not fail. That is willing, that is willing to make the kind of sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Christ loved the church, and did what? Gave himself for her. And if we are to be like Christ, and if Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, then we are to love the church and every single person in it and give ourselves for him, for her, whatever the color of skin, Whatever the culture, whatever the age, whatever the economic status, whatever the life experience, we are to give ourselves for and to each other, no matter what the cost. May God give us grace. What an opportunity. What a challenge. But what a gospel. Who is Jesus? Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's his person. What's his work? He reconciles us to God, bridges the racial divide, and compels us to live a reconciled life to his glory and to one another's good and happiness. May, may it be.